This is the best podcast. BEST stands for Business, Entrepreneurship, Startups, and Technology. I'm your host, Adam Sockledge, and each week we talk live on social media platforms like Twitter Spaces so that you can stay up to date with the latest news and stories, learn the greatest tools and tactics, and gain some of the best opportunities to connect with new people. Special guests include top founders, CEOs, and experts. Plus, the audience is always full of fascinating people. Even Elon Musk recently tuned in. All of our conversations are educating, entertaining, and engaging with the mission to help you succeed. So follow us on all your favorite social media platforms, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, and of course, tune in live to the best podcast. Let's talk soon. Hey, Adam. Hey, Michael. How are you? Good, good. How are you? I'm so excited to be here with you and with this room. We'll give the, the room about a minute to populate. And then, of course, we're waiting for Taylor as well. She just gave me a React in DM, so she'll be joining. Uh, this is exciting, Michael. I know just about a week ago you, you were in there for uh, another Twitter space with another group of people. You haven't explored uh, much more of Twitter spaces, though, right? This is probably just one of your first ones. That is correct. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm still a uh, Twitter spaces noob. So, um yeah, very excited to try this out. And, you know, you and I have been going back and forth for a little bit about, about doing one. So, yes. very excited to finally do this. Yes. as and Taylor. And Taylor. Hi. I'm also so psyched to be here. So What's good. up, Taylor? How's it going? How are you? Great. Good. But we were just saying, um, Adam was saying that uh, he, he noticed this was one of my first spaces. I'm still very new to Twitch. Have you done a bunch of these? Um, I did like right when the feature launched, but I'll be honest, I haven't done one in probably like nine months, so I'm a little rusty. Cool. Well, Adam, you will have to you will have to help us. You'll have to help help get us both through it since we're we're both pretty new to this. You'll both be great. I promise you that, <laughs> especially with your background. Uh, and I'm so excited to be here. So the room's gonna populate, right? It's live audio. The room will get more and more as we continue to start. But while these fine folks are in the audience, Michael and Taylor, I'd love to kick it off with an introduction and then get us going. Does that sound good? Perfect. Sounds great. All right, all right, all right, everyone. Well, my name is Adam Sokolich, also known as the best of live audio, and I am so excited to be here with you folks today. We've created a got a great conversation. We have Michael Magnano. Michael is a technology entrepreneur. He's an executive. He is an investor. He is a partner at Lightspeed Venture Partners. Of course, he's also the co-founder of Anchor and the former head of talk at Spotify. You also have done so much great work as an angel investor and advisor to over 50 early stage technology firms. Michael, glad to have you here. Welcome. Thank you, Adam. Very, very excited to be here. Yes, yes, yes. And Taylor Lorenz, you are a columnist at the Washington Post. You're covering all things in the technology space as well as the online culture. Taylor, so great to have you here as well. How are you? Great. Thanks for having me. Good, good, good. All right. So, Michael, this started, yeah, you, you mentioned just a little while ago. We've been connecting. We've been excited. We've wanted to talk about this topic. You wrote an amazing article recently. And in just a minute, I will tag it to the top of the space for others to check out. But today, folks, we're going to be talking about the creativity supply chain. We'll dive into all these different topics. We've got questions ready. And then in a little bit, we'll even open it up to the audience for Q&A. So get your questions ready. And in a little bit, you can raise your 
hand, it will get those going as well. Now, what I love to do when I host these conversations, Michael Taylor, I surround myself with extremely smart people, people that are smarter than me. I'm the idiot in the room, if you will. Uh, but what I'd love to do is kick it off for the folks in the audience that may be new to the creator economy as well. It's just kind of throw a softball out there, throw a, a lob to you, Michael, if you can kick us off and just kind of run us through what does the creator economy mean to you and what interests you in this space? And then we'll dive in more into the article. Sure. So, so my, let me start with my interests. I mean, I'm generally very, very interested in uh, pretty much anything that enables people to be more creative. Um, I, I grew up trying to be as creative as possible throughout my life versus a musician, photographer, uh, dabbled with writing and painting along the way. You mentioned that I founded a company, which I view that as a form of creativity. So I've always been drawn to this notion of enabling or empowering uh, people to create. The creator economy, however, uh, my understanding of the creator economy or my interpretation, I would say, of the creator economy over these past few years has been this, this thin layer of opportunity um, for creators whereby it enables people to better monetize their own work. So if you're a musician or an artist or a photographer or a TikToker, uh, the, the promise of the creator economy is that there would be these products and services and tools that would help you monetize uh, your own work. So again, uh, having anything to do with creativity generally uh, is the thing that interests me. Um, and that's why I was first drawn to, to sort of taking a deeper look at the space. This is fantastic. And I've got a whole lineup of questions. So Taylor, I'd love to swing it to you. You are the expert in the room when it comes to diving in deep on these ty these types of topics and conversations. So what would you like to kick us off with? Yeah. Um, uh, good question. Um, let me think of a, a question. Um, <laughs> sorry, I thought I was going to explain the creator economy too. Um, but I agree with Taylor. You. Tell us, tell us your take on creator economy. Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I agree with what you said. I, I feel like it's, I mean, it's synonymous with the influencer economy. Um, I cover a lot of this stuff, but I, I would say like, you know, aside from what you said of, of, sort of the promise of helping creative individuals like monetize, um, I think of the creator economy as sort of reflecting this industry around online influence. Um, content creators are generally people that create some sort of content online, whether it's written video, photo, and then monetize that um, through, you know, independently. So I sort of think it as, of it, like a, as almost like the next generation of media companies um, and how I cover it. Um, but yeah, um, I know there's there's so much we can talk about. Um, so how about this? Because there is a lot to talk about, especially about the creator economy. I'd like to also swing into that direction of, yes, it's exciting, but why, you know, let's play the other side for a second. Is it failing, right? Why or why not? Michael, you go to that one. Sure. Yeah. So... My take on the creator economy, and, and again, like this is this is um, a space that I was very very drawn to a couple of years ago. You know, seeing so many people get excited about this this notion of democratizing uh, creativity and empowering creators. But I think where the creator economy or this broader notion of the creator economy has failed, um, or, or is currently failing, is is the reality that it's it's fundamentally just not realistic for many people uh, to be able to monetize their work. Because the reality is most people on this planet do not have a critical mass of an audience uh, to be able to monetize that audience effectively. Uh, I'm a perfect example of this, right? I occasionally have dabbled in podcasting, writing here and there. 
Um, but by no means do I have a big enough audience that I could, even with the best tools in the world, monetize that audience and basically like fund my life through it. And I think I am probably much more uh, similar to the rest of the world than say the very, very small sliver of creators who are actually able to monetize what I call the 1% of creators. I think 99% of us do not have big enough audiences to monetize our work at scale. And so this notion of the creator economy, uh, I actually think is, is, has really been kind of uh, misunderstood or, or maybe like miscalculated in terms of the opportunity in that it really only caters to the top creators in the world, in my opinion. And, uh, and the reality is there is so much more opportunity and I think interest out there for the rest of the people in the world because the reality is the rest of us are creating, all of us. Uh, we are creating right now, the three of us, we are talking live in front of an audience. We are creating. Um, I, would, I would say every person in the audience right now creates to some extent. They write blog posts or take photos or um, share videos on TikTok. So to limit the opportunity of creativity to the top 1% and helping them monetize just feels like uh, a very, very sort of small and narrow opportunity in my sense. Can I hop in and say something too? Sure. Um, I would say I so I the, I would say the creator economy itself is not failing. Like this is a multi-billion-dollar industry that continues to grow and grow and grow and grow. And like there's absolutely no signs of um, people consuming less, for instance, from content creators or um, you know m basically media becoming less digital or less kind of individualized. That is something that has been happening for 20 years and will continue to happen and that industry will continue to grow. I think what Michael sort of so astutely like outlines in his piece is this promise, especially sort of this, this notion that we saw in late 2020 and early 2021, when you saw this boom in investment in these creator economy startups, was that anybody could enter this space. Like it was sold as this idea of like anyone can do it. And it re reminds me a little bit of like blogging era, um, which I mean, as a journalist, I think, um, and I came up through blogging, um, you know, there was so much disrespect towards people creating on the internet and just kind of like, oh, and you know, they're just bloggers or whatever. Um, but it was sold as this democratizing thing. And as we know, you know, 15 years later, like, yeah, people still blog, but it's very, very, very hard to generate your own audience um, and kind of sustain that. So I, I like the like comparison, but I would just say like the industry itself is not dying. It's just the opportunity. And, and I think the market for things like, especially startups that tailor to creators is actually much smaller than I think, uh, was being sold in, in 2021 when they were like, everyone can do this. Uh, Cause as you said, it's really hard. Yeah. I, I, I think it's a, a really great distinction, Taylor. And I would agree. I mean, while I believe that the market for like tools and services that help anyone monetize their work is small. I actually think the rest of creativity is headed in the exact opposite direction. Like it's just exploding. Um, if you think about all of the different ways we can create now, if you think about all the different platforms by which we can all consume, if you think about the fact that all of us, literally something like 80% of the people on the planet now have, now have access to a smartphone, uh, 5G internet is now 30 something percent penetration globally and is going up and up and up every year. So I only think more and more people on this planet are going to be 
quote unquote creators. And personally, I'm like very, very encouraged. The top of this room, so folks, you can click on that. Of course, give both a follow for Michael and Taylor article, and you'll be able to follow along or of course, read into it after this space as well. So Michael, I'd love to dive into that just a little bit more. You know, what inspired you to write this article about the creativity supply chain? And when, what does that mean to you specifically? So I think the thing that inspired me to write about it was this was this thing that we were just discussing. I think there's been um, a lot of uh, critique of, again, quote, the creator economy over the past couple of months. I've seen a lot of articles, a lot of blog posts. And, and I think to some extent, as Taylor and I just discussed a little while ago, I think the promise or the framing of the creator economy uh, that has not been delivering, I, I, again, like I think it's I, I, I generally agree with it. But I think this this notion of creativity dying, again, to, to Taylor's point, is just fundamentally not true. Um, it's actually going the exact opposite direction. And so really the goal of the article was to try to reframe the creator economy and say, hey, we're all talking about the creator economy and how people aren't making money off their art at scale like, like we all said they were going to. But what I wanted to propose is sort of a different framing and say, no, actually creativity is booming, right? And we have this thing which which I which I sort of – uh, labeled as the creativity supply chain. And I view the creativity supply chain as sort of four fundamental pillars. Number one is the supply side, which I view as being like the people and the content and the tools that we that that create media for us and creativity for us all to consume on a daily basis. And I think you can define supply as being pretty broad. Again, uh, we all take photos on Instagram. We write little updates on Facebook and Twitter, we take photo uh, videos on, on TikTok, we share photos on Be Real. That's just on like the social side, but then on sort of like the, the business side and in the workplace, we're creating podcasts and webinars and uh, short films and uh, creating marketing videos and looms. And so on the supply side, I would say that it's just getting massive in terms of what we're all able to do in terms of creating art or creating creativity. Then you have the demand side, which is also part of the creative supply chain or the creativity supply chain. And same thing, the number of channels by which we can all consume the media and creativity that we all create is just exploding. Again, think about platforms like YouTube and how much time we all spend on platforms like TikTok or Telegram or Signal or WhatsApp exchanging media and creativity with most of the people we know within our lives. Um, and then, and then on the on the enterprise or sort of the professional side, we use tools like Figma, or we use tools like uh, Slides or Docs to to consume the creativity that we're all creating. And all of this, in my opinion, is being propped up by a sort of new set of uh, technological superpowers, which I would which I would say are things like artificial intelligence, which make uh, the sort of feedback loop to actually getting to tangible creative creative output much much smaller. Uh, machine learning, which is aiding uh, massively in the distribution and consumption of media. Again, just look how much uh, we're all consuming TikTok and Reels these days. And then again, as I mentioned earlier, things like simple, ultra-fast internet, which I think we lose sight of, but most of the world uh, outside of here in the U.S. is still catching up to over time. And so it's only going to get easier for people to consume media. And this is the market uh, for creativity, I think. And, and And again, just to sort of round it all out, the, the purpose of the post was to sort of reframe creator economy and say, yeah, maybe like this thin monetization layer is still a small market, but let's not ignore the fact that we are all creating constantly every day. We are all consuming creativity every day. 
And a year from now, we're only going to be doing it more. And so I just think this space is going to get massive, massive, massive. And we're already seeing this play out in both public and private markets. And that's the point of the article. Yeah, I totally agree. And I feel like that reframing, like, helps people kind of understand, like you said, where things are going and more of the opportunity. I feel like sometimes in the tech world, everyone kind of like there's a new buzzword and we all get like, we have to have articles on it. Like, it has, you know, that people have to invest in it. And there's these like hype cycles. Um, and I feel like the one good thing about the like creator economy hype cycle that I feel like happened, especially last year, um, was I do think a lot of this stuff became more mainstream and a lot more people started to like pay attention to the creative space in general and like, you know, learn some of these problems that creative professionals are are dealing with. Um, and I'm interested, Michael, like you talk a lot about sort of AI. What role do you see AI playing in this sort of like creative uh, future? Like, you know, how is it going to be instituted? Yeah, I, I think this is a really, really interesting question. And I think it's one we should we should debate on the, on on this space because I could see it going in a, in a bunch of different directions. I mean, I think there's a school of thought that AI is going to be um, just so incredible for creativity because it's going to that that um, feedback loop I mentioned a little while ago and that time to actually get tangible creativity uh, out into the world. I think is the time is just going to drop right. Um, through uh, generative, generative AI, you're going to be able to have an idea and whether it's for an image or a blog post or ultimately a video or a podcast, you're going to be able to get that idea out into the world way, 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 way faster than you do today. And to me, that's powerful, again, because it's sort of democratizing creativity. On the flip side, I think it's fair to wonder, okay, well, what does this do for as far as like replacing creativity? Uh, is the AI going to take, take the sort of... Um, the creative freedom away from me and do all the work for me? And what does a world look like in which the computers are doing all the creative output and the humans are just sort of uh, pointing the computers in the right direction? Uh, I think it's, I, uh, I could see cases being made for it going either direction. What, what do you think, Taylor? What do you like, what do you think? Uh, how do you think we're going to, we're going to end up uh, working with, with AI and, and, and computers for creative? Yeah. I mean, I, I love all of this kind of like, like innovation and, and stuff as somebody that's not a great video editor. I love when TikTok, you know, you can just let the AI kind of like use these tools that kind of like make a really cool video edit. Like you said, uh, express yourself in a different way. Um, I guess TikTok is the, is the platform that I think of sort of most when we talk about AI, just because, I mean, not just the recommendation algorithm, but all of these great like video creation tools that they have. Um, and I don't think it stifles creativity. I think, like you said, it's kind of a new genre of creativity. Um, you know, especially even just like you think of the Dolly mini prompts. It's like it's kind of a skill to come up with some of those things um, on on its own. Um, so I, you know, I don't I don't think it'll be a replacement. Like, I, I, I don't know. I always take the view of like, oh, things are, you know things are overblown. People always say, oh, is this new kind of like more democratic form of, you know, content creation or making a photo or video like going to ruin things. And I think it's only kind of allow like allows for more expression. Yeah, probably 90% of people might rely on like the default AI suggestion for their video or photo or whatever. But um, 
I don't know. I, I think that it has a lot of promise. I mean, I was thinking even in the podcasting space, how great it would be to have somebody like edit out, you know, like, a, and maybe this exists, like all the ums or just like more things that are a little bit more automated that can take that burden off and allow people to create, I think is a good thing. Um, yeah, there, and there, there are actually some really cool, do, uh, cool tools doing that right now. Um, Descript, as an example, I don't know if you've seen it. Um, really, really amazing audio and, and I think video editor as well, which lets you basically edit your podcast episode like it were a Google Doc or a Word Doc. But the cool thing that it can do, which is, which is kind of crazy the first time you see it, is it can actually add in new words. So like, you know, let's say you want to replace one word you said with another word, you can just type over it and the AI will actually build a model of your voice and replace that word through AI in your voice through the model it created. Um, super, super cool. Wait, and obviously that's, that's amazing. Just, oh yeah, it's incredible. It's a, it's a very, very cool product. Have you both, I tend to agree though, Taylor. Oh, go ahead, Adam. I was gonna say, have you both heard, it just came out in the last week or two, uh, I think it was called Podcast AI auto-generated, it was it was synthetic, it was artificial, an interview between Joe Rogan and Steve Jobs. Have you heard it? It's pretty incredible. No. I did hear it. I think it's super creepy. Uh, <laughs> and, but, but I think it is, um, you know, it is sort of the reality of how these tools may get used in the future. And so I do think that, so let me just caveat all this by saying, like, I actually agree with Taylor. I, I think, like, the threat of AI sort of like taking over our lives and replacing all forms of human creativity is, is greatly overblown. That said, like there are examples where you could see it, the AI, you know, sort of like wading into da uh, dangerous, dangerous waters and same with the ML, right? So in the AI, we're seeing this, this would have is effectively a deep fake between, you know, two, you know, incredibly famous people who are obviously very, very influential and same thing on the, the ML side, right? For, for as much as we all love TikTok and getting lost in sort of the recommendation media that TikTok and Instagram now surface to us, uh, I think it's hard not to interpret that as sort of a form of censorship, right? Where those platforms are basically programming everything we both consume and don't consume uh, as a result of the recommendations. So yeah, I mean, I, again, I agree with Taylor. I think like the world isn't going to implode because of these things, but that doesn't mean they're not without risk that we need to pay attention to. And I think it just in, in my own usage of it, we've talked about Dolly, we've talked about other couple platforms out there as well. I've dabbled in it and I think it's fascinating to see what this technology can come up with in a creative sense on its own. But I'll be honest, I'm not using them day to day because at the same time, I enjoy my own creativity or I enjoy seeing the other creativity coming from an actual human. Yes, I love the technology side of things, but I'm, it's almost like there doesn't feel like there's a story behind it. There's no emotion behind it, but that just may be me. And of course, things are gonna develop. So I'd be really curious real quick, do you think AI will replace creators in the long run, Michael, and Taylor as well? Or do you think that'll always kind of be an ever going balance and, and roller coaster, if you will? I, I don't think AI is going to replace content creators. I mean, I don't think, I, I, I think that, I, and I don't even think that it's just because, um, you know, people are that wedded to content from humans. I just think that it's like, people like personality, like so much media is more personality driven. And I, I think, yeah, I mean, I think that like humans do a good job of, of creating interesting things. Um, I do think that a lot of content will be AI generated. I mean, I just think as a journalist and a writer, the one hard thing about, you know, a lot of 
articles is figuring out the photos and the art um, and, you know, illustrations. And um, I just noticed a lot more people with Substacks um, using like these AI kind of art prompts to come up with different imagery, um, just to add more sort of visual aspects to their writing, which I think is really cool. So I think there's like these like use cases like that, that sure, I guess it's replacing an illustrator, but that person would have never had the money to hire an illustrator to make three things for their blog post anyway, you know, so it's just kind of like filling a lot more in and allowing for a lot more creativity, but I don't think it's going to like replace content creators, uh, completely is also because a lot of these big content creators use AI tools, um, you know, editing tools, creative tools and stuff to amplify their own content. So yeah, I don't think it's going to be replaced. I, I agree. I, I think like if there's one area that could be, or maybe this is, uh, maybe this sort of builds on what Taylor is saying about like more like supplemental um, materials inside of blog posts and things like that. I think the, the, the type of content that will be replaced by an AI is content that is effectively like, commodity content right so if, uh, i'm trying to think of a good example of this you know things like stock footage or you know sleep sounds or again to taylor's point maybe maybe the image in a blog post that doesn't nearly matter as much as the actual content in the words of a blog post or or maybe things like um you know like like out of office emails like again like these commoditized forms of media where the substance of the content doesn't really matter that much. It's sort of meant to serve more of a functional purpose. I think that is like the most likely uh, form of content and creativity that could be displaced by AI. But I agree with Taylor, like the more substantive stuff, I just don't see it happening um, because again, there is nuance and there is personality. And the other thing is like going back to the supply and the creator side, I think we as people, like we like to create, right? Like, I mean, think about like what so many people do when they have free time, you, know, you, you talk to somebody that like, I don't know, takes a few months off of work or something like, oh, I, I finally started writing or I finally started playing the guitar or the piano or whatever. I, I think we are just inherently wired to create. And so I don't think we will let the computers take away our ability to create. Yeah, I agree with Michael. I mean, I think of that even with just like uh, just writing and, and journalism, like there's some sort of content that is not it's I don't want to call it mindless but it's it's service content it's like the maybe like a how-to or basic SEO type of articles you know like the what time is the Super Bowl type of content I think yeah that can definitely be generated um so that's my yeah take on it Good, good, good. And so for folks, just so you know, we're halfway through in just a little bit because we have a ton of questions for both Taylor and Michael. We want you guys to be able to ask some questions as well, right? That's the power of live audio. So we've got a great room. If you have questions, what thoughts have come up so far? What have we not dove into enough of? What are you just curious about to dive into with Michael and Taylor? Go ahead, raise your hand now. We'll get a cue going and then I'll bring you up in just a few moments. Uh, I certainly have more questions for both of you folks as well. So while we wait for more people to go and raise their hands. I'd like to swing it on to a little bit more of what you were touching on uh, just a few minutes ago, Michael. You were talking about machine learning. So let's dive into that. What's the role that that's going to play into this? Just as we talk about very specifically the machine learning side of things, and what are you seeing in the market? So, I, so whereas I feel like AI, especially generative AI today, sits more on the supply side of the creativity supply chain, 
I think ML uh, or the role of ML today is it, it's, it's playing more of a role on the demand side of the supply, uh, the creativity supply chain. So again, perfect example that I think we all know pretty well is we go over to TikTok, we start scrolling through our feed. It's not really made up of people we follow. It's made up of uh, content that the algorithm, the, the, the TikTok machine learning algorithm uh, is sending our way, choosing to send our way. And it's doing that based on our consumption patterns, the things we've already watched, the things we've spent a lot of time on. This is all happening through machine learning. So machine learning is basically uh, the technology that enables these platforms to know exactly what we're going to want to consume and for how long. And so I think this is really interesting. And I think uh, most of us would agree that um, when we spend a lot of time on TikTok or Instagram Reels or YouTube or any one of these platforms that is really, really good at recommendations, we tend to do it because we get lost in the content. The content is really good at capturing our attention. Um, but I think there's a downside to this and a risk that we should all be aware of. You know, if you think about social media, we had a lot more freedom of what we got to consume and when and why. But in sort of ML-driven recommendation media, our choices are, are kind of like going out the window a little bit. We're sort of just like, we're, we're sort of like letting down our daughter to the platform and the algorithm and saying, you tell me what to consume. And I think there's like this subtle form of censorship in there because if the platform decides everything I do get to see or consume, it's also kind of deciding what I don't get to see. Um, and I think like over scale and over a long enough period of time, you could sort of interpret that as like this new form of censorship where a few gigantic corporations are making all of the decisions about what we all consume and don't consume. So, so that's what I meant by some of the risks to, to ML and sort of the role it's playing in the creativity supply chain right now. Ooh, I love this, right? We want to hear about the exciting side. Of course, we also want to hear about the risks as well. And so, Taylor, I know when we were, you know, messaging and going back and talking before this, you're curious about the creator supply, supply chain, excuse me, and also the creator economy. And it being kind of a, a hype cycle potentially as well. What's generally, what are your thoughts? What are your ideas? What are your questions that you have? And, and what do you have for Michael in that regards as well? Yeah, well, I would say just in terms of the, hype, the, the tech, the Silicon Valley hype cycle happened last year. Um, I mean, I'm writing a book about all of this. Well, I wrote the book. It's an edit. Stay tuned. Uh, it's coming out next year just about the rise of the online creator world and this whole industry. And again, this is a shift that's been in the works for decades. Like we've seen, um, you know, media becoming more kind of atomized and breaking up and these social platforms rise. Um, so I, I think like for the vast ma majority of the quote unquote creator economy, which was called the influencer economy or the influencer industry, um, it kind of was just like peter petering along and growing and growing. And I think there was this inflection point when the pandemic hit where you saw suddenly a lot of this stuff was taken seriously. You saw investment coming into the space and everything, everything kind of like popped off in the past couple of years. And it was being sold as this like cure-all and this like big opportunity to market. And I, I think that part of it was overhyped, but I don't think we're anywhere near like peak creator. Like I think that um, it's, it's only things are only going more and more that way. And that industry is only growing and more and more money is going in every year. Um, I, I think that like what's different, I guess, and Michael, I'm curious on your thoughts on this too, is like, um, you know, earlier in the 2010s, there was, there were these like monolithic creators. You saw these big 
huge people on the internet and you could almost like, I mean, at VidCon every year, you could almost like see this manifestation of like, who were the big people on the internet? Now I think um, audiences, everything's become more niche and there's just so many more people with audiences and content creators that um, they don't have that like large, they don't have the big share of the market. Um, and so you're just seeing it kind of like become more dispersed. Um, but I, I think that like media is only going to continue to become more digital. Uh, and so I don't think like we've reached peak content creator. I think we're just seeing more interest-based creators, more um, feature-specific creators. I mean, people like you, for instance, like you've developed this whole audience based off this one feature on this app. And so we see a lot more of that. Um, people that are really, really good at like Instagram reels or, you know, become super good at like, a specific part of live streaming, you know, like there's just more of that kind of like fracturing. Um, but yeah, I don't think like the, the, the business of creativity is, is going anywhere as, as Michael has, has said, I think it's just that, that like hype cycle where it was promised as this thing that anybody could do. People are like, okay, yeah, it's actually really hard. Not everyone can, can get a million followers and make it their full-time job, nor do they necessarily. I'd like to, yeah, totally. One thing I really hope to see, per your point, like, you know, people can't make this their full-time job, but per your point, like, there's, like, all these people that, that are now creating that were never really able to create before. It's more, like, fragmented than back in the day during the early VidCons where it was just, like, two or three big creators. So the things that I'm really hoping to see in the world and through new products and services and existing ones as well is, like, tools that help people find an audience, Right. We just went through this hype cycle where we sort of threw out a bunch of stuff into the world that helps people make money. And we just said that that stuff only really appeals to the top creators. It would be great if we could find new ways to help the, the newer people, the people with smaller niche audiences, find those audiences. To me, that's like the biggest challenge in creativity right now is matching the massive amount of supply with the demand. I totally agree with you, Michael. I feel like that's like, I mean, the one thing that TikTok cracked on their own app is like discovery in certain ways. It could obviously be even better. But I was just thinking about this, you know, in terms of Twitter. And I think we're all waiting to see what happens with Twitter. But I have a lot of friends that do Substack full time and their main distribution, their main audience sort of generation is happening on Twitter. And it's such a piecemeal you know, people sort of, it, it's this like patchwork of ways that people find to kind of find their little audience and it's really hard. And if a platform cuts something off, you suddenly lose access. So I think discovery, I totally agree with you, is is an opportunity. Ooh, I love this. I love this. And I love discovery, by the way, hence the best of live audio. I'm just trying to help people discover some of the best rooms, the best conversations that are out there. All right, folks, I have so many questions. We could talk about this all day, but that would be selfish. And of course, with the power of live audio, we want to engage with the audience. So reminder for folks, go ahead, raise your hand if you have questions for Taylor, if you have questions for Michael. And with that in mind, we of course want to be very, very time focused, right? We don't have a lot of time, so keep it short, keep it to 10, 20, 30 seconds with your ask of the question. And then at the same time, let's be sure to keep this respectful. This is live audio. We wanna make sure that we're just keeping the respect to the utmost abilities, please. All right, let's keep going. Austin, you've been waiting patiently. Thank you so much, Austin. What's on your mind today? Hey y'all, um, my, my question, I guess for both uh, Taylor and Michael is on the term creator economy. Uh, yesterday I posted a tweet asking what people thought about the term creator and many people had very negative responses saying that it's 
a vague marketing term that like a, being a quote creator like conflates and obscures like a very wide range of creativity that happens online it's like kind of like a commoditized concept just like a consumer um so my question is is the like concept of the creator economy like a problematic framing or what are different framings for it like is it an ecosystem rather than economy is it like a supply chain like you wrote about michael or what are other ways to frame the quote creator economy I'll hop in and say I hate the phrase, the creator economy. <laughs> I agree with you, Austin. It's not perfect. Um, I did write a story, um, and a lot of this is in my book, too, of this, like, long-standing struggle of, like, what to call people creating content, for lack of a better word, but sort of making creative uh, output on the internet. Um, and creator, you know, was it really only became popular again in the past couple of years. It was sort of a... a um, term pioneered by the tech industry um, when YouTube, you know, YouTube originally was calling their creators partners. And when they acquired ne next new networks, they um, adopted this term that they were using, which is creator. And that kind of started to become synonymous with YouTubers and now then influencers. Um, I, I think you're right, Austin, that it's not a precise term. And I think it has a lot of negative connotations. I will say, I think the word influencer also had a lot of negative connotations, maybe because it comes from the marketing industry. Um, but I think a lot of that stuff is wrapped up in like stereotypes about the worst content creators, like people sort of associate the worst of YouTubers and the worst of like these people that are sort of maniacal about generating audiences online with the quote unquote creator economy, um, which is why I kind of liked what the way that Michael rephrased it in his um, piece. Um, I can't remember, Michael, what you called it. Creative service. I'm already forgetting. Wait, what did you call Creati it? Cre creativity supply chain. Creativity supply chain, whatever. I just like that because it has the word creativity in it. And I feel like it speaks to like a little bit, like it, it's a little bit less like baggage. Um, but yeah, creator is a, is a very nebulous word. And the creator economy is, is I mean, that phrase is only became a phrase since the pandemic. Nobody ever, people called it the influencer industry before that, but it's the same, it speaks to the same thing. I'll build on that a little bit. I mean, I think like the word creator kind of has lost its meaning. I mean, maybe it had some meaning a few years ago, five, maybe 10 years ago, where, where when it was like kind of hard to create content, right? Because again, a lot of these technologies and these, these outputs hadn't really been democratized. But again, like I kind of think, literally every single one of us on this planet is a creator at this point. And if we're all creators, then do we even really need the word creator anymore? I think we're just people and we all create. So I, I would be in favor of uh, getting rid of the word creator personally. Well, I will say that we need a word that speaks to this specific industry and these people. I and mean, this is why yeah. I was partial to sure. influence. I like it. Yeah, like there's something like the people that are monetizing, like we do need a word for them. And it's this, I feel like every word gets baggage. I was looking back and some things that people called, um, content creators early on in the late aughts was like celebrity and, um, all these other, <laughs> just like wild. corny terms. Um, and it's gone through so many iterations and I, I don't know if we're there yet. I don't know if creator is the end all be all, but I do think we need some sort of term for people that leverage audiences on the internet to monetize. Um, and I like your idea about doing it specifically based on like the specific, I think, I forget what you said, like medium or, or area that they create in, right? Like, 
podcast, even just like podcaster has so much more meaning, I think, than creator, right? Yes, which is funny because I noticed that a lot of um, PR pitches I get about podcasts now are, they call the podcasters creators and content creators. And I always say, well, what other content? I think because also a lot of these podcasters are creating video content as well. They don't want to be boxed in, but I totally agree with you, Michael. Like somebody says podcaster, I'm like, I know what that is. Um, but I guess as these content creators become less platform specific, that's why, you know, a lot of these less platform specific words have taken off. Yeah, exactly. Good, good, Adam, good. What's next? Thank yeah, you, Austin, Austin, for the question. Thank you, Thanks. Austin. Glad you joined. And we have uh, Justin next. By the way, folks in the audience, if you have a question, raise your hand. we got a queue of people. I'll bring up a few if we have time. At the same time, we're rocking and rolling so far. So thank you so much to everyone in the audience. And thank you, Austin. Justin, thank you for waiting patiently. What's on your mind? Hey, Taylor. Hey, Michael. Um, we're seeing huge creators like Logan Paul and Mr. Beast start building out their own consumer products, like Mr. Beast Burger and Logan Paul's Prime, and a top, uh, a ton of the top 1% creators. Do you think we'll start seeing small to medium-sized niche content creators start making their own products as well? Or do you think it's something that'll stay pretty much for you know the top 1% of creators? I'll just hop in and say it's so funny that Mr. Beast and Logan Paul are always, and David Dobrik are the ones that everyone always mentions. Yes. This has been a thing for literally a decade in the beauty and YouTube and uh, sorry, beauty and fashion influencer creator space. So um, small to mid-level beauty and fashion creators have been creating their own products for years and years and years um, really effectively. I think because the barrier to creating a product is, is, you know, was not as high in terms of like creating a clothing line um, or creating a makeup line, although I know makeup is, is hard, um, but it's, you know, it, it's, it seems like, um, it, it, yes, I, I see that the creator sort of launching, creators launching products and monetizing through products is definitely a huge thing. And I think while a lot of people are aware of these like big guys in the space, like uh, David Dobrik and Mr. Beast, um, you know, people like Emma Chamberlain and Charlie D'Amelio and all these other female creators, um, actually, you know, moved earlier in that space in terms of productizing themselves. And I think that they were following along with a lot of these like fashion and beauty creators that like have had, I mean, every like mid-level YouTuber, I feel like has uh, some sort of skincare line or whatever. Um, and so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I, I think that a lot of those products like won't scale very much. Like, I don't think it's all going to become the next Kylie lip kit, whatever, but, um, or Kylie Cosmetics, but but it, it, it does provide a, a sustainable revenue stream um, for a lot of mid-level and small creators. I think as a strategy, it's it's smart for any level of creator to find a way to diversify their business, right? Like, whether you're one of the biggest YouTubers in the world or you're sort of like this mid-level, mid-tier kind of like Substack creator or something, um, I think like anything you can do to diversify your business away from having total dependency on one or two huge platforms that can change the way they distribute and monetize like on a whim is a good thing. I think per, per the question of will we see more people doing this, I, I think it sort of depends on the business and sort of quite frankly, like the economics and the realities of launching that business. For example, a burger chain um, you know, uh, my, my gut tells me that's a massively capital intensive business to launch and build. And it's only going to work if you have gigantic built in distribution through which to market this 
huge, you know, expensive burger chain. And so only somebody like the top, you know, 0.001% of YouTubers could probably pull something like that off. But if there's another business that's maybe less capital intensive and there's a great built-in distribution um, channel through that, that creator's audience, um, sure, why not? I think it would be a really, really smart strategy, again, to like not just rely on, say, you know, the Instagram brand deals you get or, you know, the, the, the monetization of the Substack uh, newsletter you have just to, just to, just to build in some defensibility in your business. Because as we've seen, like these platforms kind of come and go, they don't last forever. And so, um, if you're a really savvy, uh, creator, you want to, you want to, you want to think long-term and build for the future. Folks, these are great ideas. These are great topics. These are great people. I love hosting these conversations. We've dived in deep into the creator economy. We've talked about the creator supply chain as well. So go ahead, give Michael Mignano a follow at Mignano. He's doing great things at Lightspeed Ventures. And of course, Taylor Lorenz, he, she's a columnist at the Washington Post. It sounds like she's got more great content coming up as well. And it sounds like we'll have to do this again. So I want to thank our speakers, everyone in the audience for joining. I do these every week. I try to talk with some of the best and most fascinating thinkers and doers from around the world focused on business, entrepreneurship, startups, and technology. Again, my name is Adam Soklich, also known as the best of live audio, and I hope you'll tune in again soon. This is the best podcast. B-E-S-T stands for business, entrepreneurship, startups, and technology. I'm your host, Adam Soklich, and each week we talk live on social media platforms like Twitter Spaces so that you can stay up to date with the latest news and stories, learn the greatest tools and tactics, and gain some of the best opportunities to connect with new people. Special guests include top founders, CEOs, and experts. Plus, the audience is always full of fascinating people. Even Elon Musk recently tuned in. All of our conversations are educating, entertaining, and engaging with the mission to help you succeed. So follow us on all your favorite social media platforms, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, and of course, tune in live to the best podcast. Let's talk soon.